Have you ever said this phrase? Wow, that was easy. Have you ever said that? Got done with a, a task or you've completed something, you said, that was easy. I've said that dozens of times, if not much, much more throughout my whole life. But one thing I've never done is I've never said that after accomplishing something meaningful. I've never got done with something that was absolutely meaningful, something that was very impactful, something that was life-changing for both myself or somebody else. And I've never got through that task or that challenge and said that was easy. And why is that? Is that's true because the things that matter the most, the things that are most meaningful, the things that are most significant, the, means, the things that will produce the most fruit in both your life and the life of others are downright difficult. When I consider my marriage, um, as much as I love my wife, as fantastic as she is, and as great as what we have built together over the last nine years that we've been together, listen, sometimes it's been downright hard. Sometimes it's made me question, man, especially at the beginning, did I make a mistake here? Are we? And I'm sure if she had the microphone, she'd tell you the same thing. Marriage has been downright hard. I think about my education, which has opened many, many doors for me. Man, it was downright difficult. I know you think I'm a bright guy, but I, I just always found, why are you laughing? What's funny about that? Man, I'm kind of hurt about that. But school has never been easy for me. I've always had to super apply myself. I've always had to really sort of rework things and really dig in. But my education wasn't easy. It was very valuable to me. I think about my vocation. I think about planting this church and building something from nothing. It's not been easy. I think about parenting. My God, I love my boys. Some of the best things that ever happened to me. But it's not easy. The The best stuff in life often requires blood, sweat, tears, and much, much more. One of the guys I think is uh, pretty interesting is Albert Einstein. And we think about Albert Einstein and we just think of this guy. We just think genius. This person was just brilliant. He was just so witty, so smart. He had it all together. But this is what Albert Einstein says about himself. He says, it's not that I'm so smart. It's just that I stay with problems longer. He says, it's not that I'm a genius. I mean, I'm sure he was very intelligent. He says, it's not that I'm so smart. I just don't give up easy. I just stick with problems longer. I just deal with issues, and I work through issues a lot better and a lot longer. And this is especially true when it relates to faith. Faith pays off. Your relationship with Christ pays off when you stick with it. You look at all of our heroes through the faith, of the faith throughout Scripture, particularly those that were used mightily, particularly those that were blessed, particularly those that had a major impact on life as we know it, even us today, it wasn't because they were so slick and sharp. It wasn't because they were so handsome and good-looking and knew how to talk and knew how to string together some words. It's because they stuck to the things that they put put their hearts to. They stuck with it. They dealt with problems as they came. They dealt with the issues of life. They weren't quitters. They were climbers. They were pressers. They were committed. They were committed. That's what I'm going to talk about this morning, commitment. Commitment. And I looked up the definition of commitment, and I found several definitions for commitment, but the one that I like the best reads this way. Commitment is an engagement or an obligation that restricts freedom or action. Now, it doesn't speak of what, the, what, what you're committing to. But this definition that I love so much, it speaks to the fact that commitments limit your options. 
You engage something, you are essentially choosing to engage, choosing to latch on to something, and by doing so, you've let go of other options. And this word commitment, particularly in our culture, is countercultural. We don't like commitment. You may say you like commitment. You may think you do, but there's something within us that really is drawn to variety. We really want to run in the opposite direction of Commitment. Commitment is unpopular in our human society. Why? Because we like options. We want direct TV because there's a zillion and a half channels. We want lots and lots of channels. When it comes to romance, some of us have a real hard time just zeroing in on one person. We want to play the field. We want to have our cake and eat it too. When it comes to romance... When it comes to food, man, let's go to the buffet, man, because all we have to do is pay a little bit, and we got this whole spread of food. We want, we want options. We want options. And the list can go on and on and on and on, but these powerful words that ring out in the definition of commitment, engagement, obligation, are powerful words because they lock us in. They lock us in. They lock us in when we don't want to be locked in. They lock us in when we want to play the field. They lock us in when we want to come and go as we please. Commitment locks us in. I have the privilege this morning of continuing a sermon series that I've simply been calling Faith in Action. And as I mentioned last week, I've taken a particular interest in faith in the last few years uh, just because I think it's so central to who we are. I think it's so central to who we are. And the goal of this series is to examine how our faith determines our actions or who we will be or how we will live. Because I believe that one's faith or belief system ought to drastically affect how they live. I didn't say it should just make you change some things and maybe you do a few things different. But a person's faith, particularly a deep and abiding faith in Jesus, ought to completely change your life. You ought to be unrecognizable to the people who know you best. I believe that faith should drastically affect how you live. In other words, what you believe is often lived out almost uncontrollably. Your faith, your system of belief, how you respond, how you react to people and things and the world around you and circumstances and life and joy and pain is uncontrollably uh, produced within you as a result of how you believe, how you think, and we'll just call that our faith, our belief system. What is at the core of you will ultimately determine who you are and how you live and how we live. I used as a springboard for this series, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, where Paul is speaking. He says, so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be living and holy sacrifices, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And this is one of my favorite passages of scripture because Paul really gets at what it means to be a person of faith. He really gets at what it means to be a person of faith. He says, listen, consider all that God has done for you. Consider his awesomeness. And because he's awesome, because he's worthy, if you decide to engage him, do so by giving yourself fully to God. Give yourself fully to God. He proceeds to tell us how we need to do that. He says, offer your body as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. 
by doing, doing that in a way that allows God to come into the core of you, and he says in, in this passage to change the way you think or to rearrange the core of you, how you process. God's going to do a work on your guts. He's going to do a work on your CPU, the seat of your emotions, the seat of your feelings, the seat of your faith, the very core of who you are. Let God come in and change that. And as he changes that, you will be a new person. And last week we called the message Life in the Spirit. Because the main way to do that is to let the Holy Spirit come in and fill you and change you from the inside out. The key, chapter, the key verse from last week, Galatians 5 verse 25 Paul says, since we are living by the Spirit, assumptive language, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. Make no mistake, when we follow the Spirit's leading, the Holy Spirit is God's Spirit that gets deposited on the inside of us when we believe. And that Spirit testifies to the nature and the character of who God is. And that nature and character should lead us and guide us in every single way of life making us be more like him. In other words, we, we're acting as if God would act if we were on this earth because his spirit is alive in us. His spirit is changing us, transforming us as we go, as we go throughout life. And as we specifically talk this morning about the subject of commitment, there is no greater example of commitment than God himself. There's no greater example of commitment. God loved this world so much, the scripture says, that he gave his only son, that whoever should believe on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Perhaps one of the most popular scriptures in all of the Bible. God's so committed to us. He so loves us. He so wants to transform us. He so wants us to have what he planned for us that he would give up everything, his most valuable stuff, to engage us. And if you look from cover to cover in the Bible, God's people constantly, constantly were blessed and brought along by the Lord. They constantly turned their hearts toward God, away from God. They turn back. They turn away. They turn back. They turn away. They sin against God. They seek other gods over and over and over. And what does God do? What does God do? Over and over, his unfailing love. Over and over, he's consistent. Over and over, he's faithful. Over and over, he gives us chance after chance after chance after chance. God is a faithful God. God is a committed God. And as God's spirit lives in us, it should be producing in each and every one of us, those that belong to him, a steadfast, faithful commitment. Talking about commitment this morning. And I've simply called this talk a call to commitment. A call to commitment. Because nothing worthwhile happens without it. Nothing significant happens without it. If you look throughout history, whether it be an industry, an invention, nothing's happened unless people committed and stuck to something. Social justice, you look at civil rights, people committed their lives, people died for the causes so that we can have the freedoms that we have today. There's relationships, all sorts of meaning, uh, meaningful things. Nothing has happened without commitment. And I'm calling this today a call to commitment. And I'm using this morning every ounce of my pastoral authority, every ounce of my voice and influence to speak to you today. Many of you are here, are members of this church. This is your church home, or is this your church home for now? So I'm speaking to you as the pastor of this church. I'm speaking to you as God's messenger, as I call you all to commitment in every significant area of life. And for those of you who are here this morning and you're not a part of this church, or this is not your church home, all of this stuff is universal, and you can apply it to your personal relationship with God and your personal place where you fellowship and worship. A call to 
commitment. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 4 as a springboard to this talk this morning. Uh, there are Bibles on the edges of the rows. If you don't excuse me, have a Bible, that you can take that one. You can actually take that one home with you if you don't have one. We'll also be projecting the words on the screens. A call to commitment. We're starting in Matthew chapter 4. Before I begin, let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this church. Thank you so much for these people, Lord. I thank you so much that you've gathered us here. Lord, we thank you for your unfailing love, your unfailing commitment to us. Though we turn our back on you and though we seek other things and though we seek our way, Lord, you time and time again, you call us back to yourself and you press into us with unfailing commitment and love, Lord. Would you show us as your character is birthed inside of us how to be people of commitment, how to be faithful in every area of life, faithful in all that we do. Would you teach us that? Lord, would you open the word today for us to hear and understand what you have to say? Would you move the preacher out of the way? Would you put power on these words that you're giving me to speak? I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 4. As we open to Matthew chapter 4, we see that Jesus is just, he's just starting out. He's starting his ministry, and what he's doing is he's recruiting his followers. And we're disciples of disciples of the disciples of the disciples. We can say that a million times and probably still not be complete in our description of our, you know, connection to the line of these disciples that Jesus has picked. But when we look at Matthew chapter 4, we see that Jesus is starting out in ministry and he's picking his guys. We start at verse 18. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. They were professional fishermen. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two, bro- two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets, and he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Leaving their boat and the father behind. I love this account of how Jesus recruited his boys. He went up to these guys and said, listen, come and follow me. Now, I, I, I get a little uh, jealous at Jesus' influence. I wish I had that type of juice. I wish I had that type of influence. Well, all I had to do was walk up to somebody and say, listen, just come follow me. And they just stop what they're doing and come follow me. I wish it was that easy as I was courting my wife. And I just saw her across the room and walked up to her and said, listen, come follow me. It's, it kind of happened that way. It wasn't quite that easy, but that's kind of how it started. She was just taken by me. That's another message. That's another message altogether. I wish as I was recruiting this fantastic team of church planters that all I had to do was go up to them and say, listen, come and follow me. We're going to South Suburbs. And they just dropped their, you know, whatever they're doing and come. It didn't, didn't happen that way. I wish it was that way as it related to church growth, that I would just approach people on the streets and say, hey, come on to South Suburban Vineyard. I want to see you there on Sunday morning. And they just drop what they're doing and come. It doesn't happen that way with us, does it? But Jesus is the man, right? He goes up to these guys and says, come Follow me. Now, it's safe to assume that this isn't the first time they've ever heard of Jesus. It's likely that they knew uh, who he was and what he was up to. It's likely that they heard about him. But still, the Holy Spirit was at work there. And Jesus walked up to these guys and said, come and follow me. And what was Jesus asking of these guys? Was he asking them to just kind of go, come and take a walk with me or come and just be my posse just so we can be deep and intimidate people when we walk through the streets? Absolutely not. What Jesus was asking them, especially as we examine the whole of Scripture, particularly as it relates to the life of Jesus' disciples, these apostles, what he was asking them to do is to come and die. 
come and die to their own ambitions, come and die to their whole, all, their, their, all their plans to, to, to move Jesus and God's business and God's kingdom to the very top of the list, to forsake everything else, to lay it all down. Essentially, what Jesus was asking them to do was to commit to the kingdom of God, commit to God's business, commit to God's stuff. And we are the fruit of their obedience, the, the strength of the Christian faith, the spreading of the gospel throughout all of the world is the fruit of their obedience. And since we're the disciples of the disciples and go on and on with that, the call to, that Jesus gives us is, is very much the same. It's no different than what Jesus called his very own disciples to do. Come and die. Come and leave your stuff behind. Come engage the kingdom. Come and be absolutely committed to me, forsaking everything else, putting me absolutely first. Now, what's the problem? The problem is we don't do that when we come into the faith. The, the version of the gospel that we heard or what we, how we understood it sort of dilutes that a little bit. What we hear when, 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 when we hear the gospel is, listen, stop doing bad stuff. Go to church someplace. Give a little bit of money. Be nicer. Be a good neighbor. And just, just let Jesus just kind of move into a room of your house. Let him just sort of be a guest. We hear very diluted version of the gospel. We don't hear come and die. We don't hear come and be permanently transformed. We don't say leave your, we don't hear leave your mother, leave your father, forsake your vocation, leave everything at the shore side and follow Jesus with all your heart and soul and pick up only what he allows you to pick back up. We don't hear that. But I come to tell you today that that is the gospel message. That not only has the kingdom come, Not only uh, is it accessible to us, but God expects us to commit, to fully engage, to be completely obligated to his kingdom and his stuff, forsaking everything else. And to some of you, that's news to you. Some of you, that's the first time you've heard that. But I'm presenting that to you, again, with all of my pastoral authority, with all the authority of the scriptures, that God requires us to commit. And as a pastor... And as a lifelong learner, as a person who just uh, is constantly trying to figure out just what's wrong with us, and by us I mean humanity, I find that one of the major defects that we have as human beings is that we don't want to commit to anything. We don't want to fully engage anything. And it's especially true when it comes to faith. There's all kinds of dysfunction, there's all kinds of brokenness, there's all kinds of stuff wrong with us. And we're looking for quick fixes. We're looking for the answers. And I've just come to say today, we need to look no further than our levels of commitment. We need to start there. We should start there. And I've just brought with me today four areas of commitment that will change your life. In other words, if you commit in these four areas, if you just throw your whole self into these four areas, I guarantee that your life will change. There's not much that I guarantee. I guarantee that your life will change. I won't spend too much time today, but I just want to hit these four areas of commitment, that if you commit to these, these, it will absolutely change your life. The first thing is commit to God. Commit to God. Listen, this is the starting point. This is the starting point. Kingdom is here. Commit to God. Engage him fully. We talk about this almost every other week. What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Now, what in those three descriptions of what you should love God with, I mean, that's pretty much all-encompassing. All your mind, your heart, your soul, your strength, your, your, your able-bodiedness, every single aspect of your life should be geared toward, excuse me, and used for loving God. Now, to some of us, that's just huge. That's just a huge request. That's a huge command. Where do we even start with that? How do we even break that down? How do we even break that down? I think the answer is simple. But everything you do and everything you are, whether it's your work, your job, your family, your relationships, every single thing should be viewed through the filter of whether or not this honors God or not. Every single choice you make, every single decision, every single place you go, every single song you listen to, every single movie you watch, every single choice in life, and that's a lot. We're making choices almost every second. Everything you do ought to be filtered through, does this honor God or not? Now, there are things that honor God. There are things that are neutral, I believe. And there are things that absolutely dishonor God. And I honestly, I want to live in that neutral honoring God range. Some would argue that, I mean, there's only two sections. I think that there are three. I think there are areas of life where God is indifferent about it. He's given us a choice to do this. I mean, God doesn't care if you watch the Flintstones. I mean, you don't have to say, Lord, can I watch the Flintstones? Is that okay? Every single choice in life. Why? Because either we believe this stuff or we don't. Either God is the creator and sustainer of life as we know it. Either God spoke to nothing and created all that we see. Either God is worthy of our praise. He's worthy to be followed. He's worthy of affection and love and allegiance. Either he is that or he's not. For those of us who come into the faith, who come into the kingdom of God, who give Christ the right to rule and reign in our life, we have to ask that question. Do we believe that God is who he says he is or do we not? Do we not? That's something that you have to answer in your guts, in your soul. For those of us who answer yes, for those of us who are people of deep and abiding faith, we're called primarily to commit ourselves to God, his way of doing things, his prescriptions for our life. We got to look into his scriptures. We got to consult his people as we work on how we live our lives. Commit to God And I would submit today that very few of us has done that in a thorough way. Very few of us has done that in a deep and abiding way. The question that I ask you today is, who would you be today? How much ground might you have covered? How close might you be to the Lord? What dysfunctions might you have avoided? What pitfalls in life might you have avoided had you taken this commitment to God very seriously? Had you looked into his word and says, you know, God says don't do that, so I won't do that. God says to do that, I'll do that. God says this is the type of person I should date and marry, so I'll date and marry this type. What if you searched the scriptures? What if you tuned your ear to heaven and did exactly what God prescribed and ran away from everything he said not to do? Where might you be today? What deep measure of peace and tranquility and closeness to God might you be experiencing presently if you just took God seriously? If you engaged him, if you obligated yourself to him in a way that forsook all other options, no matter how, how much they shine and glisten, where might you be today if you took that seriously? Where might you be? 
I don't want to spend all my time there, but this is number one on the list. Where might you be? Commitment to God. I think the second thing, which might be surprising, is that we uh, need to have a commitment to our families. Commit to family. Some of us, when we look through scriptures, we get this idea that God's not a family man. Friends, God is the ultimate family man. He's the ultimate family man. We look at the scriptures and we read Jesus saying things like, listen, if you want to come to me, you've got to hate your mother and father by comparison. You go, whoa, I love my mama. My father, those are my people. Jesus, you saying, hey, you look at the scripture passage we just read, and Jesus says, come and follow me. And the guys leave their nets, and they leave their father. Poor Zebedee's going, where are these guys going? It's noon. We got a whole day of work left. And you forget this idea that God's not a family man. Well, listen, God commands us to commit to your family. The other half of the greatest commandment is to love people. Love people. The scripture says, frankly, to love them more than you love yourself. More than you love yourself. More than you love yourself. You look at Paul's writings and his teachings. There's so much said about marriage and how we're to regard one another. There's so much said about how we're supposed to regard our children. There's so much said about how we're supposed to respect our, our family and our parents and things like that. God is a family man. And it's my firm belief that God uh, births us into families so we will have an understanding of how the kingdom is supposed to operate. So we can have an understanding of how we're supposed to treat one another, the affection that we're supposed to have for one another. God is a family man. Loves his children. Loves his son. Loves his son's bride, the church. And some of you are failing in your commitments to God You're failing in your life, and you're not quite measuring up simply because you're not committed to the right stuff. And some of us have even got the part of being committed to God right, so we think. So we think. And when it comes to the people that we live with, the most significant relationships in our life, we drop the ball, and we drop it over and over and over again. For those of you who are married, God calls you for the rest of your life to commit yourself to one man or one woman, to throw your whole self at the deal. To throw your whole self at the deal. And typically when things come across my desk or people knock on my door and they say, hey, my marriage is in shambles, there's all sorts of dysfunction, there's all sorts of brokenness, I'm about to kill this guy. Or I'm about to strangle this woman. Or I'm about to change the locks on this clown. Usually what's happened is that one or more of those people that make up that couple have not thrown their whole self into that marriage. Maybe it's a mama's boy. Can't stop, can't get off the phone with your mom. Can't leave and cleave the way you're supposed to. Maybe it's a young lady who has an unhealthy attachment to her family. She hasn't forsaken that and thrown her whole self into the marriage. And it's really easy to get this wrong. So I sympathize. I've not been perfect in this regard. But the sweetness that I experienced in my marriage today, I was just sitting across from my lovely wife last night. The kids were away. Bless the Lord. (laughs) Looking into each other's eyes. Very romantic dinner over at Chili's. (laughs) 
And I thought, this one, this is so special. This is so sweet what we have here, man. If I can just brag on my lovely wife, she's just a fantastic woman. Now, when we first got here to plant this church, I mean, this just threw a whole wrench into our life. And we've been spending the last three years just trying to figure out how to love each other with this new normal, with this new beast of a church and all the people that come along with it, bless your souls. But in the last year, the Lord has done work on me. He's called me to look at myself. I think the marriage and family series have just completely revolutionized the way I view my marriage and how I view my wife. There's been measurable growth and change. So I'm looking across from my wife, and it's, not to mention I've been away from her for three days in Columbus at this conference. And I just thought, man, this is so sweet. This is so sweet. This is a blessing. This is awesome. And I just try to ask myself, well, why is this? What do I owe this to? What do we, and I just can see that every single day she throws her whole self at me. Not in the way that you probably think. I mean, that way too. But she throws her whole self into the marriage. Mind, body, soul, just throws it at me. There's lapses. There's times where we get on each other's nerves and we have to redirect and rear. But she throws herself into this thing. And I do the same thing. And this, it takes work. It takes biting my tongue. It takes a lot of energy and effort, especially with two kids under five in the house, especially with the church to run, especially with small groups and meetings and budgets and all these sorts of things, especially being on a fixed income, which we haven't been particularly used to until we moved here. It's taking work. But we've thrown our whole self into this thing, and at presently we're experiencing a sweetness that I just, I just don't ever want to lose. I, I don't ever want to lose it. So we need not think that, well, my commitment to God, listen, maybe you're just going to have to, you know, you're just going to have to figure it out yourself because I'm committed to the Lord. I've got to be down at the church. Baloney. Notice that first thing. I didn't say be committed to the church first. We're going to get to that. But your commitment to God will undoubtedly make you committed to the things that he care about, the institutions that he's created, and none are more important than your marriage. Not the church, not your job, not your vocation, vocation, excuse me. None of that's more important than your marriage. And if you're single today and you're thinking, well, where do I fit in this? Well, listen, this applies to you too. This applies to you too. Every time you just think you just want to date a bozo just because he looks good or that she looks good, think about this stuff. Whoever you marry, whether they're a clown or not, God's going to expect that you commit yourself to them because it's, the, it, it, it's the, his institution that he honors. It's what he, that's what he's looking at. So when you're just dating, you're just trying to figure somebody who's rich or somebody who's got money or somebody who's good looking, listen, just pay attention to this because the success in virtually every area of your life will depend on the decisions you make, the things that you engage, the things you oblige, obligate yourself to, and you want to take this very, very Seriously. I knew before I met my wife that I was going to be in, in ministry. I didn't know that I would be a church plant, but I knew I would be in ministry somehow. So as I'm selecting through who I needed to marry, I just I know I needed to marry somebody who, who would help me with that. Somebody who didn't just want to sit on the beach all day and just, you know, put up a big fence in front of our house and just be I needed to find somebody who was who was who was who was going to work with me and help me in that effort. 
I'm sure she considered the plans that God has given her and the way, and she, 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 she obviously looked at me and saw, I can work with this. This is something that might, that might be helpful to me. Nothing better is going to come along. This is it. I better grab this guy. But in all, in all seriousness, those of you who are struggling in your marriage, ask yourself this question. What might I be experiencing if I threw my whole self into this? What might I be experiencing if I, if, I, if I turned off the TV and I made some dinner and I arranged a babysitter and I looked into my wife's eyes and I spoke to her face to face and I treated her like, the, like she's the woman that God has given me. What might, what might be different now? How sweet and functional might life be? I can spend forever on marriage just because I'm very excited about it. I feel like I understand it more now than ever. But for those of you who have children, listen, who's, who else's job is it to disciple and raise and love your children? The, the school? The daycare? The people in kids' church? Listen, we love your kids. We love them. What is your job to be committed to your children? To be committed to them? Whether they're doing well or not, whether they're angels or something else, some of you laugh because you know. This is my sons, man. I love these boys. I'm going to love them. I'm going to disciple them. Listen, some of you will call me and you don't get an answer. It's not because I'm playing Tetris. It's because I'm a father and I'm hanging with my boys. And we're playing around. We're talking. We're putting them in the bed. Listen, listen, I will get to you. But I'm talking about my family here. I'm talking about my children. That means loving them. That means disciplining them. That means raising them and instructing them in the way of the Lord. Listen, I take it very seriously. I'm throwing myself at these boys because my father threw himself at me. And I'll move along because that's a very tender spot for me. Commitment to your family. God's a family man. He requires that you be a family man. And this applies to your parents, your siblings, all of the above. God is a family man. And as we commit ourselves to our family, we see a sweetness there, we see a functionality there, and there's a natural transition to the thing that God wants us to commit ourselves to next, and that is committing ourselves to our local church. Commit yourself to your church. To your God, I believe there's something strategic about him choosing to birth us into families. I would think, I've seen so many movies. I, I, I figure there's a lot of ways that as God was drawing up the plans for humanity, there's a lot of ways that he could have got us here. There's a lot of ways that he could have just sort of spit us out into this. But he births us into families. Why? Because we need to know what that's like. Because that's what his family is supposed to be like. That's what his church is supposed to be like. And unfortunately, sin and brokenness has crept into the world and it's created all this dysfunction and brokenness. And again, that becomes our standard and therefore we look at the church that way. Think of the most wholesome, most beneficial, most loving, most caring, most welcoming family unit on the planet and think that that is God's design for how the church is supposed to operate. We're called to commit ourselves to your church. And this is especially important to me. This is especially dear to my heart because I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. I shepherd this wonderful flock. 
Fewer things frustrate me more than when people take a casual approach to what we do here. When people say, oh, I could take or leave what we do on Sundays. Oh, I'm tired today, or I don't want to participate, or I don't want to contribute. There's nothing that frustrates me more. Why? Because there's more work for me? No, not really. Because the seats aren't filled? Well, no, not really, although it is easier to preach to a crowd rather than empty seats. It's easier to operate a budget when it's full of tithes and offers. I mean, of course, life is just easier. Running a church, pastoring is just easier uh, when, when people participate, when they give and when they show up, of course. But that's not what I'm getting at right now. What I'm getting at is the sickness that we have. The sickness that we have. We take such a casual approach to something that is so necessary as God sees it. There's so much stuff we throw ourselves at. There's so much stuff we throw our careers at, our careers, all this sort of stuff. There's so much stuff we give ourselves to, and half of it is taking from us rather than giving. Half of it corrupts us, if not more. It makes us more greedy. It makes us more selfish. It makes us more angry. It makes us more jealous. It makes us more frustrated. The fruit that's growing from those things that we give ourselves to is nothing but you know, putting us more and more in the red, and yet we will... We will latch onto these things and hang on to it with a death grip. But the thing that God has put on the earth that will bring you life and salvation and hope, recharge your dead batteries, we take such a casual approach to it. I will never understand it. I will never understand it. I will never understand it. I will never get comfortable with it. I will never stop leaning into it. I will never stop challenging it. Why? Because if you don't commit yourself to this, there's going to be a whole lot wrong with you. It's going to be a whole lot missing from your life. It's going to be a whole lot missing from your life. And the Bible paints for us a huge and vivid picture of what the healthy church community looked like. I don't have time to read, read it, but I refer to it. If you look at the early parts of the book of Acts, the church got started and these guys were meeting each other's homes. They were gathering for prayer. They were sharing meals. They were all united. They were on one accord and the power of God just would show up. People were being healed. Thousands being added to the numbers of the church on a daily, on a regular basis. Look, the fruit that was produced when people say, you know what, I'm going to throw myself into this thing. So is this some place that I'm going to go and get some, you know, just get some inspiration if I need to hear it that week? Is that just some place where I'm going to go and see my friends because I know somebody, such and such is going to be there? Not something that I'm going to contribute to or participate in when I got some extra time. No, this is essential. I'm going to build my life around God's stuff. I'm going to build my life around God's stuff. Somebody would smirk and say, listen, well, you say that's easy for you to say. You're a preacher. I'm glad there are people in this room that know who I was and what I was doing before I got a paycheck from the church. So it's with, it's with moral authority that I stand here and I challenge you today. For many years, I worked more than 40 hours. I traveled regularly. But when I, my commitments to my local fellowship, financial, my skill set, my being there was constant. And if I could help, I built my life around that in a healthy way. Because this is, this is God's business. This is God's local church. And some people join a church and they make no impact at all. Some people join a church and they make no 
impact at all. In other words, there's no hole if they should pull themselves out. And my goal in life is to make an impact just about everywhere I go. You're going to know I'm in the building. You're going to know I've attached myself to something. I don't mean that in the prideful way. I don't mean to say that I'm going to try to push myself to the front so that I can be seen and so that people say, well, look how talented Gene is. Look how, no, no, what I'm saying is I'm going to use every, when I join something, when I connect myself to something, you're going to know I'm there. And when I leave, there's going to be a hole. There's going to be a hole. And some of us join churches and, you know, at the, at the size we're at, listen, I mean, we know when, who's not here. If I had a whiteboard, I can list everybody who's not here just because of you know, the size. I mean, we love everybody and we know who's, who's not here. But there's some people who can leave. You can be away for weeks and weeks and weeks and the thing would, nothing would change. Nothing would change. We wouldn't miss a beat. We wouldn't have to scramble to feel what you were doing because you're not doing anything. We wouldn't have to figure out how we're going to account for the loss of income because you're not giving anything. People wouldn't go unencouraged because you come and then you leave. You treat it like jewel. You treat it like a supermarket. You, you, you approach church as if it were as a consumer. You contribute nothing. You leave nothing behind. It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. It should not be that way. I say this because I'm your pastor. I say this because I love you. I say this because I want God's best for you and everybody that calls this place home. Ask yourself a question. If you should leave, will you be missed? Is there a hole when you don't show up? And some of you will hang your head and you will answer no because you haven't engaged, you haven't committed at all to this. There's no condemnation coming from this pulpit. There's just only healthy challenge. Some of us have started well. We've started well. We've, 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 we've picked up ministries and we've done things and, and we just, life starts happening. You get, you get tired. You get tired and you just walk away from it. You didn't say, Lord, I'm not going to let the circumstances of my situation determine whether or not I let this go or whether I walk away. I'm just going to, Lord, should I drop this? Should I hand this ministry back? Should I do something differently? Most of us, I say us, we let the circumstances dictate our commitment levels. Well, I got to work some more work. Well, I was, listen, I was out late. You know, I had this thing to do. Well, I have, I have a child now. Well, I got this thing now, and I got that thing now. Well, listen, I'm not insensitive then. But I, I, I'm, we're walking these things out. We've experienced, by we, my wife and I, we've experienced income changes. We've experienced life changes over and over and over again. It's always something new. But guess what? When you engage stuff, when you limit your options, listen, it's different. There's a difference. You make provisions. Perhaps you get less sleep. You leave some things until later. But you put first things first when you're committed to something. Heard an interesting story from some friends of mine that related this to us when we left the Champagne Vineyard in Champaign, Illinois. Um, 
you know, uh, that really blessed me, and I'll share it with you, not to be uh, boastful, but to, to, to further, further illustrate my point. So we were part, um, our training ground for church planting was the young adult ministry within a rather large church that we planted out of in Champaign. And um, what was, you know, there was a lot of people who were starting families and things like this, and what would typically happen is that when a person had their first child, they would just kind of disappear from the ministry. I mean, it was just a natural out for them. They would just sort of disappear. Well, we were sort of gathering. We were pastoring. We were leading stuff. So we didn't have that luxury. Plus, we felt very committed to what God told us to do. So we just, we brought our son, Joseph. He's a baby. We brought him to everything. We attended everything. We were there. We just, he had a car seat. We just, we just brought him along. We brought him along. So a year or so after we planted, some friends of ours came to visit and they, they told us that we had created a term within their ministry, and that was somebody pulled an Allison, which basically means they had a baby and they stuck around. They had a child, they had a major life change, and they stuck around. They still were very committed. They still were very involved. They brought their child along. They made arrangements to make the thing happen. Now, why am I telling you that? Listen, we're a church of mostly 30-something. You're going to be having babies. You're going to be changing jobs. All sorts of craziness will be happening in your life. So what you can do is you can do two of, one of two things. You can choose to use those things as excuses to, re, to retreat and to recede. Or you can adjust and work along with that and roll with the things that come. Because I guarantee you, if you think you're doing yourself a favor by reducing what you're doing in the kingdom. You think you're doing yourself a favor. You think you're alleviating things. But if you, if you really ask yourself a question, have you, have, do you have any more peace? Do you have any more joy? you feel more connected to Jesus because you let that thing go? You feel like this weight has been lifted off your shoulders and that you, you're, just, you're just easy, can just flow in the spirit, and that was the thing that I needed to let go. Probably not. Sometimes. But probably not. And usually when somebody comes to me and they talk about, I just need to take a break, I just need to, I say, okay, listen, I want to make, make sure you know that you, we'll be okay if you walk away. But what did the Lord say? I know you listen to your circumstances. I know you listen to your frustrations. I know all the noises around you made the very clear and decisive choice, but what did the Lord say? And my guess is that the Lord would tell you to press through. He would give you wisdom. He would give you grace. My guess is that he would tell you, to press through. Listen, I don't see a whole lot of places in the scriptures where Jesus is saying, listen, take a break. Look, take, take a rest. Unload that. Take it easy. I don't, see, I don't see any places where Jesus is saying that. I see places in the scriptures that says, press forward. Press through it. Push through your frustrations. Press, press through that personnel issue. Press through that conflict. Press through it. Press through it. Press through it. Because there's people on the other end of that job that you're doing. There's people on the other end of the commitments that I need you to make that need to be blessed, that need to be encouraged. We're making, we're building something here. We're building something here. We're building something here. So commitment to this house of worship, commitment to this community of faith, commitment to this community of believers. That means you show up. That means you bring with you your skill set, your time, your talent, your treasure. It means you serve. That means you support and work, excuse me, in word and in deed what God is building here. You're part of this church. 
this is your church home or this is your home for now, how will we know? What fruit is there? What record is there of it? Listen, some of you, um, the, 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 the secret to unlocking what's broken in your life, what's dysfunctional in your life, includes you pressing in, committing, buckling down to your local church. Listen, we need you. We need you. Most of church life, no matter what zip code, is defined by a few people carrying the whole church. Few people serving, same people serving week after week, same people showing up week after week, same people giving. Just a few people while everybody else just consumes. That doesn't have to be that way here. That's not my vision. That's not, my, that's not God's plan for this church. If it's some of you, things that will turn, need to turn around in your life, I imagine that they would change significantly if you threw your whole self at your local church. I got to move on. Last one, but not least, commitment to God's plan for your life. Now, this one is strategically placed. It's as strategically placed as the first one we opened with. Commitment to God is first. That goes first. Commitment to God's plan for your life or your hopes and dreams or the stuff that God's given you to fulfill and pursue in your life is strategically last, just by the very nature of the fact that God calls us to consider him and to consider others before ourselves. But it deserves to be on the list. Commitment to God's plan for your life, the God-given hopes, dreams, aspirations, pursuits, stuff that God's put on the inside of you. And some of us are just finding very difficult to gain any sort of traction in life. Life's not working for us. The things that we put our hands to and put our minds to, they just fail and we're just so frustrated. We want to give up. We want to create schemes or we want to take to doing some deviant, unethical thing to make ends meet. And, 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 and listen, that's not the answer. Some of us are having issues just because we don't finish anything. We don't finish anything. We never commit to anything. You start and then you quit. You start and then you stop. You start and then you see something shiny and you go and look at it. You start and then you reduce your enthusiasm or productivity. And you cry out to God or you cry out to me and say, I keep starting over in life. I keep starting over in life. I keep having to start over. And I would say to you, well, stop quitting stuff. Stop quitting. Start something and see it through. Be connected to God, connected to your family, connected to his church, being full of the Holy Spirit. Listen, he'll lead you and guide you into the way you should go. And that should limit a lot of fruitless pursuits. The Spirit of God is leading you to start a new career or leading you to move or leading you to the mission field or leading you to pick up an instrument or leading you to take up anything else. Listen, He's going to give you the doors open, but he's going to take you starting that thing and seeing it through. 